This is Space Time Series 23, Episode 121, for broadcast on the 13th of November 2020. Coming up on Space Time, an ancient galactic mystery deepens, pristine extraterrestrial organic compounds discovered in a fireball meteorite, and how NASA plans to phone home from the moon. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. A new study of distant galaxies in the very early universe has discovered that they were already far more massive and mature than previously thought. The findings, reported in the journal Astronomy and Astrophysics, raises some major questions about how ancient galaxies could have gotten so big so quickly. The observations were made as part of the largest multi-wavelength survey ever undertaken of the early cosmos. Scientists look back some 12.3 billion years, going back to a time when the universe was less than one and a half billion years old. It's a time when the cosmos appears to have experienced a sudden growth spurt. The survey, called Alpine, was designed to investigate the gas and dust in 118 distant galaxies during this epoch using the giant Keck and Subaru observatories on Mauna Kea in Hawaii. One of the study's authors, Andreas Feist from the California Institute of Technology, says he was surprised to find galaxies had evolved so much faster than expected. The authors simply didn't expect to see so much dust and heavy elements in these early distant galaxies. Galaxies are considered to be more mature, for want of a better term, when they contain a significant amount of dust and heavy elements produced by earlier generations of stars. The problem is, galaxies in the early universe really haven't had all that much time to build stars. So, astronomers expected them to be dust poor and contain very low levels of heavy elements. They also expected them to look like train wrecks, because early galaxies often collide with each other. So, there's a lot of gravitational perturbation going on. Instead, they found many of the galaxies in the survey showed relatively mature features, including structural diversity and the first signs of rotationally supported disks, which could eventually lead to spiral galaxies such as our own Milky Way. Using multi-wavelength studies allows astronomers to get a more complete picture of how galaxies form and evolve. So, as well as the optical observations from Keck and Subaru, the authors also gathered optical data from VISTA, from the Very Large Telescope in Chile, and from NASA's Hubble Space Telescope. To get a different perspective, they analysed these galaxies in infrared using NASA's Earth-orbiting Spitzer Space Telescope, and in radio wavelengths with ALMA, the Atacama Large Millimeter Submillimeter Array Radio Telescope in Chile the radio and infrared images revealing places of star formation hidden by dust. Most of the galaxies selected for the Alpine survey were chosen from a catalogue of ultra-distant objects with high-quality spectra, that spectra being obtained from DEMOS, the Keck Observatory's deep imaging multi-object spectrograph. The study will tell scientists more about the early universe, the unique properties it contained, and the unique way it influenced galactic evolution. This is Space Time. Still to come, scientists discover pristine extraterrestrial organic compounds in samples recovered from a fireball meteorite and how NASA intends to phone home from the moon. All that and more still to come on Space Time. 
Okay, time to take a break from our show for a word from our sponsor, The Great Courses Plus. You know, in these uncertain times, it's important to take a little time out to focus on yourself, to do something that lifts you up and makes you feel better. And one of my favorite ways to do that is by learning with The Great Courses Plus. That way, there's no downtime. You see, The Great Courses Plus isn't just another streaming service. It's a creditable source of information presented by leading world experts in their fields. And there are thousands of videos covering hundreds of different topics to choose from. This means there are heaps of rewarding opportunities to learn, like how to use mindfulness to manage stress and deal with anxiety. You can learn how to make your own pasta from a chef at the Culinary Institute of America. You can even get tips on how to train your dog from a pro instructor. Now, one course I think you should check out is Sky Watching, Seeing and Understanding Cosmic Wonders. It's presented by one of our favorite lecturers, Professor Alex Filipenko, and it gives you a detailed look at the wonders you can see by just looking up into the sky. It's an unparalleled guide to some of nature's most mysterious and beautiful offerings. Things like rainbows and aurorae, stars, planets and meteors, even thunderstorms. It looks at where they come from, how they're formed, and where you can best see them. There's so much to see in our skies, and this is a great place to start learning just what's up there. And learning is so easy thanks to the Great Courses Plus app. It lets you watch or listen anytime, anywhere. The whole idea is to make it all easy for you. And you can start your journey with the Great Courses Plus today. Now, I suggest you sign up through our special URL, thegreatcoursesplus.com space. That way, you'll get a 14-day free trial with unlimited access, and you'll be hoping to support our show. So don't forget thegreatcoursesplus.com slash space, and you'll find the URL details in the show notes and on our website. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash space. And now, it's back to our show. This is Space Time with Stuart Gary. Scientists have discovered pristine extraterrestrial organic compounds in samples recovered from a fireball meteorite. The fireball streaked across the skies of Ontario and the United States Midwest on the night of January the 16th, 2018, eventually slamming into a frozen lake in Michigan. Scientists used weather radar to determine exactly where the pieces landed, and then meteorite hunters were quickly able to collect the samples before their chemical makeup was changed too much by exposure to liquid water. The study of some of these samples has now provided scientists with a glimpse of what space rocks are like when they're still in outer space. The findings, reported in the journal Meteoritics and Planetary Science, shows the meteorite contained pristine organic compounds, which could tell researchers about the origins of life. The study's lead author, Philip Heck, from the University of Chicago and the Field Museum, says the meteorite's special because it fell on a frozen lake and was then quickly removed before it became too contaminated with planet Earth. Being so pristine allows scientists to see unaltered materials containing a rich inventory of extraterrestrial organic compounds. These same kinds of organic compounds were likely delivered to the early Earth by meteorites and might even have contributed to the ingredients of life. One question we get asked a lot is what's the difference between a meteor, a meteoroid and a meteorite? Well, meteorites are space rocks that have fallen to Earth. When things like asteroids collide in outer space, fragments can break off. These bits of rock are called meteoroids, and they'll continue floating through space pretty well forever, unless they get caught up in the gravitational pull of another body, such as a moon or a planet. Once a meteoroid enters Earth's atmosphere, it's called a meteor, 
Big bright ones are called fireballs, and if they exploit in the atmosphere, they're referred to as ballides. Serious sky watchers never call them shooting stars. Pieces of meteor that survive the trip through the atmosphere and hit the Earth's surface are called meteorites. When the fireball flew over Michigan, scientists used NASA's weather radar to track where the pieces went. Now, weather radars are meant to detect hail and rain, but pieces of meteor which are the right size can also be detected. So, weather radar helped show the position and velocity of the meteorite, allowing search teams to zero in on the area within a couple of days. Meteorite hunters found the first piece on the frozen surface of Strawberry Lake near Hamburg, Michigan. Scientists determined that this meteorite was an H4 chondrite, which make up just 4% of all meteorites falling to Earth. Unusually, it showed a high diversity of organics. Scientists aren't sure how the organic carbon-containing compounds responsible for life on Earth got here, but one hypothesis is that they hitched their way here on meteorites. Now, that doesn't mean that meteorites themselves contain extraterrestrial life. Rather, some of the organic compounds which help make up the building blocks of life might first have formed on an asteroid and then later fell to Earth. This is Space Time. Still to come, how NASA plants the phone home from the moon and later in the science report, a new study claims high vitamin A, E and D intake could be linked to fewer respiratory complaints. All that and more still to come on Space Time. NASA has selected Nokia Bell Labs to develop a new lunar communications network based on cellular 4G technology. The agency will test the 4G LTE, or long-term evolution technology, to help support future exploration efforts on the moon, potentially enabling live video streaming and remote control of lunar rovers, bases and infrastructure. Nokia Bell's already developed an ultra-compact, low-powered space-hardened base station intended as the centerpiece of a future lunar network and it's slated to be deployed to the moon in late 2022. A prototype of the new lunar base station's already been tested under simulated lunar conditions at the European Space Agency's High Power Radio Frequency Laboratory. The lab used radioactive strontium-90 and high-energy ultraviolet lamps to seed low-energy electrons while testing the performance of the base station across three different temperature ranges to qualify it for lunar operations. Engineers were especially concerned about a multi-pactor effect caused by strong radio frequency energy in a vacuum generating an avalanche of secondary electron emissions from the RF device itself, resulting in the damage or destruction of the equipment. The good news is the prototype base station survived the test with flying colours. To find out more about the project... Andrew Dunkley is speaking with astronomer Dr Fred Watson. They are now looking at putting a 4G mobile phone network or cell network on the moon with the support of Nokia, which has got a few people upset in the astronomical world. Yeah, so NASA's Artemis project, which is aiming to send the first woman and the next man to the moon in 2024, that project is aiming actually at this southern polar region of the moon. Part of the project is to build kind of permanent base 
on the moon, a permanently inhabited base, with a view to learning about long-term spaceflight, principally with the idea of going to Mars in the next decade. So the Artemis program is actually a pretty broad brush thing and envisages um, lunar landers and maybe habitation modules actually sitting permanently on the moon's surface. So what has happened is that NASA has recognized that if you've got astronauts wandering around on lunar rovers and things of that sort, trying to find their way without the benefit of GPS, the need is for solid communications. And what they've done, what NASA has done, is to basically contract Nokia, the Nokia company, actually the American Nokia company, to develop a cellular network on the moon. And it's to facilitate, as I said, long-term lunar habitability, providing communications for key aspects such as lunar rovers and navigation, the lunar 4G network. So that contract's already been awarded $14.1 million to develop that network. And the immediate consequence was a lot of very upset radio astronomers because radio astronomy uses the most sensitive antennas in the world to look at signals from deep space which would be basically flooded out by the Nokia cell net at specific frequencies. That This is one thing that we have to be clear about. It's not like flooding something on the ground with white light where you've got every frequency represented. These communications frequencies are quite specific, but at least one of them, and it's certainly one that the Starlink network is using, is very close to a radio astronomy band of interest. And it's of interest because it's where a lot of organic molecules actually emit their radio waves deep in space, precursors for life, things of that sort, which, of course, radio astronomers are really interested in. And if we're going to be flooded out in those wave bands by communications either from constellations of spacecraft above the Earth or by phone networks on the moon, we are struggling. We're going to be struggling. And I think radio astronomers are going to have to be working with the communications people to try and mitigate the consequences of all this. It's already happening, in fact, certainly with space. I'm sure radio astronomers are talking to Nokia as well about what the lunar proposal might look like. Yeah, I hope they can come to some sort of agreement or understanding. It would be a a terrible thing to have basically an arm cut off by radio signals um, from you know satellites and and a a lunar 4G network and um, lose that connectivity with the potential of discovery. I think that would be a, a a really big a giant leap backwards. Uh, the big question from me, though, Fred, is with this 4G network on the moon, will the astronauts be able to phone home? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I had to ask. Someone had to ask. Somebody has to ask whether they can phone home, except they're not yes. in their 80s. <laughs> That's Professor Fred Watson, an astronomer with the Department of Science, speaking with Andrew Dunkley on our sister program, Space Nuts. And this is Space Time. I'm Stuart Gary. Time now to take a brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with the Science Report. A new study has shown that higher vitamin A, E and D intake could be linked to fewer respiratory complaints. The findings, reported in the British Medical Journal, are based on research looking at more than 6,000 adults over eight years. 
Scientists examined their diets and respiratory history for things like colds and asthma. They found that vitamin A and E intake, both from diet and supplements, were associated with a lower prevalence of respiratory complaints. Interestingly, vitamin D intake from supplements, but not from diet, were also associated with fewer respiratory complaints. The findings will undoubtedly add to the current scientific debate on the real value of vitamin D supplements. A new study has confirmed that the COVID-19 pandemic has resulted in one of the largest drops in global carbon dioxide emissions in history. The findings reported in the journal Nature Communications are based on near real-time data collected during the first half of 2020. Compared to the same period in 2019, carbon dioxide emissions dropped globally by an estimated 8.8%, which is far larger than the drop during previous economic downturns such as the global financial crisis or even World War II. The researchers noted that emissions came back as soon as the country relaxed its lockdown restrictions. But substantial differences between some countries remain. Over 1.3 million people have now been killed and almost 50 million infected by the COVID-19 coronavirus since it first began spreading out of China to the rest of the world almost exactly a year ago. New research warns that the growing problem of microplastic pollution may have an even greater impact on fish survival and behaviour than the degradation of their coral reef habitats. Researchers raised damselfish in microplastic polluted waters and then placed them on either live or dead and degraded coral patches. The findings reported in the journal of the Proceedings of the Royal Society B show that those reared in microplastic environments or those released into dead coral habitats were bolder, more active and had lower survival rates than those in a control group. The effects of plastic exposure were also more pronounced than reef degradation alone. The authors suggest efforts to address microplastic injection should go hand-in-hand with efforts to restore coral reefs. Scientists have developed a tiny device no larger than a coin, which can be attached to your arm and generate power simply from the breeze of your arm swinging as you walk. The device isn't technically a turbine, but consists of two plastic strips and a pipe that flutter or clap together when there's airflow. This generates static electricity. Researchers say they want to make the device even smaller and improve its efficiency so it can be used to charge devices like cell phones sustainably. They also have plans to make a bigger version, one capable of competing with existing wind turbine technology. You can read the study in detail in the journal Cell Reports Physical Science. You know, it's amazing the sort of lengths people will go to to try and convince you they've had some sort of supernatural experience. And an awful lot of these claims end up on the desk of Tim Mendham from Australian Skeptics. Some claims show real effort with a serious attempt at special effects, drama and theatre. They're still phony, but at least those making the claim have tried. But then, according to Tim, you'll find others which are so bad, it's hard not to laugh. This story about a woman who was sure that there was ghost activity either inside or outside her house because her dogs got very um, upset and frantic and were running around like crazy but they might have been ghost monitors themselves it's a video which is well worth having a look at to see some of the crappiest proof of ghosts you've ever seen you've got a couple of dogs that are running around a lounge room round 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 and then staring at a front window or at the front door which means someone's out there 
Yeah. There was probably, probably yeah, the owner um, just coming in. But they're being videoed. Why they're being videoed, I don't know. You often wonder about these things where people place cameras in a corner of a room to film this, film this activity. And these dogs are running around and jumping on the lounge and looking outside. And on the lounge, strangely placed, is a large blanket, which is taped half off the lounge. And during the video, you see one corner of this blanket that's near the floor lift up. And it's the most obvious piece of string attached to the blanket lifting that you've ever seen in your life. It just moves exactly as a piece of string attached to a blanket would move. So it's sad, but I look at a lot of videos of ghosts and uh, of claimed ghosts and that sort of thing. But uh, it, this is this has to be one of the worst. The dogs look like they're having fun. Yeah. They're running around barking, staring at the window, doing that sort of thing. So someone's outside knocking. It sounds like it's it's done just for the, dare I say, TikTok value. This is, is a TikTok value, I think, really. I mean, it's it's so poorly done that, it, that it's debunked within a microsecond. But they might think it's impressive by looking at it. But, oh, dear. And they're, they're, surprisingly, for some of these really, really bad proofs of paranormal, there are people who believe them. They don't take any evidence on face value. I've heard of psyche octopuses, or is that octopi? Psyche crocodiles, of course, we've had who can pick elections. And now the psyche horse. Tell us about the psyche horse. Yeah, it's, it's actually octopodes. It's the plural of octopus. Okay. A woman has a horse that she's owned for a while, and she consulted a psychic animal whisperer to find out more about the horse. Now, this whisperer, uh, nay, nay, the psychic actually revealed a, a lot of information about uh, from the horse. Apparently, it was passed on by the horse, which whose name is Fred, and the psychic said that uh, the horse told her, Fred Ed. we're going to go down this path all the way. Exactly. <laughs> so, Mr. Fred was apparently also a psychic horse. So, it's a psychic reading a psychic horse. So, that's a very interesting community. The horse, of course, which was the source, told the psychic that the lady would meet the love of her life and the man would have a scar on his leg. He, of course, also told the psychic that one of uh, the woman's daughters had ridden the horse but had an accident by falling off it. The horse also told the psychic that they could see a ghost of a black pony that uh, had passed away some years before and that the lady would sell her business and open up a new business and it would be going great guns. So the psychic is giving historical interest and uh, future advice advice on business advice. You could say that probably if anyone knew this woman or looked up a Facebook page, which is often a pretty easy thing to do, that you can gather a lot of information about people that they reveal themselves. So something like a daughter having an accident, having a pony that had died a while ago, even thinking about their career prospects, selling their current business and opening up a new one, all that sort of stuff could be found on uh, on a website. And you combine that I, with cold reading and voila. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the interesting thing about uh, finding the, the, the love of her life with a scar on his leg, we don't know much about that. That might be a good one, but uh, well, the rest of it is... For a pirate. Horror. The horse also said that actually this man with a scar would be tall and have dark hair and that he would be young. Now, he is tall, does have dark hair, but he's actually quite old. So he was wrong on that one. So Fred's abilities well, aren't 100% a horse. reliable. Well, a horse is a horse, of course, of course. It's only a horse. Of I'm course. not sure how, how old Mr. Fred is, but yes, he's, he's not 100% reliable, but, which makes him a perfect psychic. That's Tim Mendham from Australian Skeptics. And that's the show for now. 
Spacetime is available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, Bytes.com, SoundCloud, YouTube, your favorite podcast download provider, and from SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com. Spacetime's also broadcast through the National Science Foundation on Science Zone Radio and on both iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. And you can help to support our show by visiting the Spacetime store for a range of promotional merchandising goodies. Or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to triple episode commercial-free versions of the show, as well as lots of bonus audio content which doesn't go to air, access to our exclusive Facebook group and other rewards. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.com for full details. And if you want more space time, please check out our blog, where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as heaps of images, news stories, loads of videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at StuartGary on Twitter, at SpacetimeWithStuartGary on Instagram, through our Spacetime YouTube channel. And on Facebook, just go to facebook.com forward slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. And Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. Bytes.com.